And if you're out there and you're struggling right now, like first off, know that you're not alone. There's a lot of other people out there. And one thing that really I hope you you know is that um, that there's a community of people that'll support you and that there's other people who, who are in the same position as you are. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 54 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. You may be noticing that this episode is not coming out on Monday like normal. That's because from now on, we'll be doing two episodes a week of That Remote Show. That's right. You heard it. Not just one two episodes a week of that remote show. You may be wondering why the change. Well, Mondays will remain as our flagship episodes, interviewing some of the biggest experts on remote work and awesome entrepreneurs. But on Thursdays, we will now be releasing an episode that is a bit more focused on commentary. A lot of the times, it may just be me deep diving on a subject, answering a listener question and exploring that, Or I may have a guest on that we've already had on before, but I might bring them on to help me out with one of those topics. These episodes could vary from less than our normal episode length to much longer. Uh, We can do this for however long it takes. We can just go and just have fun with it and go for as little or as long as we need to in order to really explore that topic and answer questions. And that's just what happened for our very first Thursday episode. I was joined by my friend and fellow digital nomad, Nate Hake from TravelLemming.com, who has been quarantined in Buenos Aires for the last month. I decided to bring him back on to discuss what is going on in Buenos Aires during the COVID breakout, why he decided to stay there instead of come back to the U.S., how COVID is impacting the travel industry, and what people whose businesses are being affected, like travel bloggers, for example, can do to get through it and come out on the other side. We talked about that and much, much more on this episode. As always, you can find all the show notes and resources mentioned during this interview over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 54. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 54. Also, if you're digging this podcast, don't forget to leave a review. The easiest way to do so is to just head over to my Instagram profile at Mitkoka, that's M-I-T-K-O-K-A, and click on the link in my bio where you'll be able to check out the newest episode and easily leave a review. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this interview with Nate Hake. All right, Nate, welcome to the show, man. Um, It's nice to have you. Thank you for taking the time to uh, join us. Uh, For people who are listening uh, Nate is currently in Argentina. I'll let you talk a little bit more about that. But before we get to that, I do want to say that um, other than Sarah, who's been on two episodes just shooting the shit about relationships and other stuff that we've talked about and like travel plans, you're the first guest to come around for a second time. So uh, it's also one of your first guests. So I think, you know, you got the, the Nate bump out of that. Yeah, yeah. You you were, what were you, like episode six? or. Yeah. You're definitely pretty early on. Yeah. So thanks for the uh, early support and for coming around a second time. And uh, yeah, man, depending on when this goes live, um, should be pretty quick. But it's currently Friday, the April 17th. Um, and you've been in Argentina for quite a while. So I thought it would just be good to jump on and talk about what is life like right now in Argentina with all this COVID stuff going on. Um, where were you at when all this happened? And just kind of like, you know, you've been around this world for a while and just kind of like shoot the shit about what's going on and maybe help some people out that are listening. So, um, yeah, man, how is, um, first of all, what brought you to Argentina, uh, since you were kind of there when all this broke loose? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know me and are listening, um, I'm a recovering corporate lawyer turned uh, digital nobin and travel blogger. And I've been um, on the road since 2016. Uh, so I'll hit my four year mark later this year. And I'm in Argentina because 
uh, I just happened to be here when the, when the pandemic hit. I was living here for a couple months after having taken the nomad cruise from Spain to Brazil. And then I met a few really cool nomads on that cruise and we ended up settling in Buenos Aires. And, you know, when that, when the pandemic came down, um, I think everybody, all, all digital nomads sort of had to quickly make this choice about whether you go home, whether you go somewhere else or whether you stay where you are. And, you know, I haven't, I, I've been on the road for four years for me, Going home would mean living with a friend or living with family. It was also, you, you know, the U.S. has a lot more cases. Um, and particularly at the time, was looking a lot more dangerous in, in the U.S. versus here in Argentina, where the case count is relatively low. And so I, I made the decision to just stay here, um, stay where I am. I'm in an apartment that's safe and comfortable. And the Argentinian government at the time seemed to take the crisis much more seriously um, than the U.S. government was. And so I was really concerned about what going home would mean in terms of the public health impacts of that. And I was sort of like, well, if I stay here, I definitely know that I can reduce my chances of getting COVID to very close to zero. And I'm safe and I'm comfortable. And Argentina is a pretty friendly place in terms of uh, their immigration policies, in terms of how they treat foreigners. You know, healthcare is like a human right here, stuff like that. So um, at the end of the day, I decided to stay here. Argentina went into a full lockdown very early. They were one of the first countries. Um, and in interestingly, one of the first countries that didn't really have a lot of cases, but like totally shut down. And when I say totally shut down there, the lockdown we have here is harder than almost anyone that I've heard about. You cannot go outside unless you're going to the grocery store or to the pharmacy or to walk your dog. And even then, like there's police officers every block that I walk. They're really pretty strict about everything. They're now requiring people over 70 to have like a, a certificate just to be able to go to the grocery store because they, they want to, you know, they want to isolate uh, folks who are older. Uh, they shut down the borders totally. Like we, we have extremely little <laughs> in the way of, uh, of ability to go out. But because of that, I think their public health response has proven to work pretty well. And the number of cases is still like it's somewhere around 2000 or so right now for the whole country, which is, is wow. tiny, tiny by comparison elsewhere. You're totally right that when all this happened, a lot of people had to make a choice. Like, what do I do? Uh, do I stay where I am right now? Or do I go, quote unquote, home? wherever home is for a lot of nomads. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, Sarah and I had to consider for ourselves. We were in Iceland when this happened. And we didn't really have that choice because Iceland's so expensive that, like, we would have gone broke if we had to stay there. Um, and especially, like, we also didn't know how long this was going to happen. I'm very lucky to have some friends in the medical field. And one of them was like, this could be many months. Um, and so because of that, we decided to come home. But one of my worries with, you know, we have friends that are in like Mexico and like in other countries, um, which we had options to go elsewhere. Like instead of going to the U.S., like go elsewhere. And one of my worries was, and this is my question to you with Argentina, is Argentina was in a recession before all of this happened. They were struggling financially. And one of my worries was, um, and even now Sarah and I are in an apartment in Cincinnati, we ended up getting an apartment. And one of my thoughts was, I don't want to be in an area where I'm concerned about like, or where there's a higher chance of people losing their jobs and there being like uprisings or like higher robberies, you know? Absolutely. That's a concern. And for a lot of digital nomads, I mean, depending on what country you're in, I've certainly been in a lot of countries that I definitely would not have stayed in. So it, it was a very individualized choice depending on where you were. And like you said, like there's so many things that go into it. You have to consider, you know, your financial ability to stay where you are, what happens in terms of immigration, how the place is going to treat you if you end up going to the hospital, you're a foreigner, a guest in another country. Um, but on the flip side of it, you mentioned it being too expensive to stay in Iceland. For me, the calculus was the reverse because it's much more affordable here in Argentina than if I were to go home. And I'm like, well, I'm basically living off of savings uh, for the foreseeable future. That's going to stretch much farther here in Argentina. And you're right. Argentina was already in a very bad recession uh, before all of this hit. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Argentina is a debtor country. They have a massive amount of debt. And they, they right as this all was going down, they were in the process of trying to negotiate terms for restructuring that debt. And they, they've been threatening to basically default. Argentina, I think, has defaulted before. And they, they have a long history of just like crazy currency controls and all sorts of really odd 
um, odd economic policies that has meant that Argentina has been a country that's been struggling financially for like decades. And so there's two sides of that coin. One is that, yeah, as you say, like by far, I'm much more concerned about the possibility of there being riots, crime, you know, looting. I definitely go out of my way to make sure that all my windows are secure every night and all that sort of stuff. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, Argentina is a country that has dealt with these sort of severe economic depressions before. And most of the Argentinians that I know when this went down, they were just like, okay, here we go again. You know, yeah. we're going to just do this again. And like, this is got another year or two of just, you know, total miserableness and we'll get through it. And on the other side, and it, it's not to minimize any of the very real struggles that people have here, but I do think that as a nation, uh, their collective psyche is a little better prepared for this than in the United States, where you think about most people alive in the United States, the only thing they've had to deal with it, it, that compares to this is 9-11 and the 2008 Great Recession. But this is going to be bigger than both of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like both of those combined, um, even worse. I, I tell people I consider this the equivalent of what you would happen if you had uh, World War II and the Great, the Great Depression together like at the same time, because you have supply and a demand side shock. And it's, you know, it's a really, uh, it's a really tough time to be anywhere. But I think particularly here in Argentina, um, yeah, you, you worry about all those things. But the thing is, there's nowhere safe. There's nowhere, right. we, we were, especially at the point we were making a decision a month ago where you didn't know where this was going to go. I, I had, I have probably calls with close to a hundred friends, nomads, people who are all making this decision. And trying to help them talk through this stuff. And I was very public on my blog about that. And so a lot of people reached out and I told everybody, I said, you're, you have to choose among the best of bad options. There is nowhere that's, you know, that's, that's the best place to be during this pandemic because nobody knows how it's going to go. And there's upsides and downsides to just about everywhere. And that's especially true for digital nomads. Yeah, you definitely had to do a sort of calculus, like you were saying, is like, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the best place for this reason, but that place isn't the best because of, you know, X, Y, Z. I think in some ways, this is going to hit the US the hardest out of anyone, because the US has really never dealt with like, actual hardship other than the Great Depression, which was like, uh, you know, a generation ago. Um, and you know, and it's been interesting to see like people that I know react to this because like my parents, for example, whose entire first half of their life was under communism and then dealing with the repercussions of communism after that was over. I mean, in a weird way, they reacted a lot like they were kind of like, OK, like we like we know what like my mom went into Kroger and she was like, oh, it looks like Bulgaria in 1996. Like they've gone through this while like a lot of people I think in the U S have never, I think the U S has dodged a lot of hardships. Um, and so now all of a sudden there's an entire like population in the, in the world's richest country. That's like, what the fuck is going on? You know? Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the worries is just the panic. I mean, you saw the panic buying here of like toilet paper, which is completely, I don't fucking understand. We have, we have the days in Argentina. So uh, no toilet paper shortage. Yeah, my, my parents installed a bidet in the house. My dad was like, I have an electric car and solar panels and a bidet. Like, I'm good. Like, right. <laughs> you know, like let's go. But yeah, so when do you think you're going to be able to leave Argentina? Well, technically speaking, there's no prohibition on leaving Argentina. The challenge is, is that they don't let anybody come in, which means, of course, there aren't planes coming to Argentina. Most airlines aren't going to run planes leaving from Argentina because you'd only run it one way. Um, there are actually I think there's a flight leaving tomorrow. One of my friends is going to try to is on that flight. It's sold out. Um, and so they run a flight lately. They've been running a flight about every two weeks or so. Um, to Miami. And so it is technically possible to leave. So I could leave, assuming that continues, um, you know, it is, and things really go south. Like I always have the option of pulling the ripcord and going back to the United States. And I may do that at some point, uh, but probably more likely just because, it, you know, uh, either because of economic reasons or because of the, the fact that it's about to be winter here. And that's something that I, I haven't had a winter. Uh, since winter of, of 2015, 2016. Uh, and I literally don't have clothes. Um, it's getting a little chilly. So, you know, anyway, in terms of when I'm able to leave, 
um, I can leave. The lockdown itself is technically set to expire in, uh, on the 26th, but I highly doubt that'll happen. They're talking as if this is going to go through mid-May in Buenos Aires. There's other parts of the country that are opening up as soon as uh, Monday uh, in some of these rural areas. But here in the city, it's going to be the very last place that opens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of like one of the things that I definitely want to discuss with you because we have a lot of friends who this is hit especially hard, right? The travel industry has basically shut down. Um, and we have a lot of friends who work in the travel industry. And we also, you know, a lot of like the digital nomad location dependent stuff happens. It is, is in some way, shape or form overlapped with the travel industry as well. You run a, an, an awesome website over at Travel Lemming. Uh, you guys do really great content, like the top up-and-coming uh, digital nomad podcasts. That's uh, you know a, a, a phenomenal piece of writing that you guys put up. Particularly because it includes you on the list. Okay. <laughs> That's right. But take me back and run me through what happened when all of this started going down and how are you as a business person um, like reacting to this and how are you adjusting to it? Sure. So as you mentioned, the travel industry has been just absolutely devastated by this. We were the first ones to feel uh, the hit and we're probably going to be the last ones to recover. Travel and tourism accounts for one in 10 jobs globally, which is huge. And, you know, travel bloggers, just like everybody else, really felt it. And you could see it in the numbers. Like in February, you could see where people were stopping planning their trips because a lot of my business model is based on SEO and people finding you by Googling you know, things to do in Mexico or whatever it is. And you could see that people were searching less um, as it sort of, as this started to heat up. And so in some ways we were kind of like the canary in the coal mine. And so as soon as, you know, as soon as like the whole world shut down, I think a lot of people sort of had a a bit of a panic attack about what's going to happen. And people are moving through different stages of grief. Some people are still in the bargaining stage where they're trying to pretend that this is going to come back sooner than it is. I personally think it's going to be a while until we see travel and tourism return to anything like it was before this. I mean, consider that. Imagine that things return to 80% of what they were before. That's still a depression. Like definitionally, that is a depression. And I think 80% for the travel and tourism industry is going to be 2022. Um, so if you work and travel, this is a really rough time. And in particular, when you talk about like income for bloggers, I mean, most of us saw, if you were dependent upon ads and affiliates, which is how I make most of my money, that income basically went to almost zero and more or less in the course of a week. Like it's, it's, I don't even bother to check it anymore because some days it's just like a couple dollars. It's so small that barely even covers the cost of hosting your website. And so that's really frustrating because in particular, as people who follow me know, like I have not been a full-time travel blogger for that long. I've only been full-time for about six months. I've done a bunch of other stuff as a nomad. I used to have a software company um, that I, I, I basically put all that aside because a travel blog was growing and was doing so well at the end of last year and in January. And I said, this, I'm going to go full-time on this. We started hiring writers. I wanted to turn it into a travel media empire, not just a, a one-man blog. And in some ways, you know, this is, I knew there were risks in putting all your eggs in one basket, but it really kind of shows what happens when you do that, particularly with something like tourism that can be seasonal. And as you mentioned, this is not the first time that travel has been hit. It's hit in every recession. And we were kind of due for a recession, honestly, even before this. So it's not like this was totally unforeseeable. People have been talking about it in the travel blogging groups uh, for about a year before this and at, at conferences and things where people were like, you know, does everybody have a plan? What are you going to do if, um, you know, if tourism takes a downturn? What's what's your game plan? Do you have savings? Are you saving for retirement? And do you have health care and like, and all of those sort of things. And there are some travel bloggers who at these conferences, like will get on panels and will kind of like scream their heads off to people about financial security because they know that a lot of people in the room are basically living month to month based on their earnings. And that's not true of everybody, but I think this has really shown a lot of people, you know, how 
um, how ephemeral, you know, a lot of income sources in terms of, of, of location independent income sources can be. And personally, I, I'm a prepper. I was raised in a, in a Mormon family. Like I, I, I have lots of savings saved up. And by the time that our lockdown hit, I had a long, large store of supplies and, uh, and, and medicine and stuff here. And so, you know, um, we are, uh, without, without, by the way, uh, hoarding or anything like that, but definitely went, was, was buying stuff at the stores weeks before there was even any indication that they were going to shut down here because I saw what was happening, um, overseas. And so I tried my best to be prepared, but even with that, this is really hard. And it does show, I've often told people, if you're going to start a travel blog, you need to plan for at least the first year and now probably the first three years being just a side project and something that you're not going to be relying on for your main income. Because even in good times, minimum, it takes a year to get an income out of a travel blog. And that's like assuming you're doing everything right. I think my sizable income didn't start coming in until about 18 months. And I grew faster than almost any travel blogger I know. Um, and now during the pandemic, you know, if I see a lot of people who are, who are focusing on starting travel blogs. And I'm like, that's good if you want to start that as a side project, but understand it's going to be a side project and it's going to be a while until it becomes an income source. And so, uh, you know, I think hopefully a lot of people are, are, are taking some, some lessons out of this. It's, it's some hard lessons. It's, I really feel bad for a lot of people in the community. There's a lot of people suffering. Um, and so as much as I wake up every day and I'm kind of sad about having watched all my income disappear overnight, um, there's a lot of people who have it worse. Just to touch on like as background, before we hit record, we were talking about how, and you kind of touched on this, how this is hitting this industry harder than any other recession before it uh, because of the, the of the realities how, of how it works. You know, you, like you literally can't travel, but travel as an industry is going to get hit at every recession. It's not, it. you know, there's some industries that are somewhat recession proof, the, travel is not one of those because if you consider that you know uh during a normal recession like an 08 or something like that which was still worse than um you know regular small recessions but people lose income people make less income and they don't have that disposable income to go on trips or whatever so that's something that i've always kind of like talked about or like and i know that you have as well is like and what you were mentioning is like hey what are you going to do when there's a recession and i think that travel blogging and the travel industry is this like almost perfect lifestyle on paper when everything's going well. Um, but if you're not preparing for those hard times, it can be really, really hard when it does hit. Um, and I think hopefully once we get through this, I think the travel industry will be better for it and travel bloggers will be better for it as well because you know they'll be more prepared for it if, if something like this ever happens again. But in terms of starting businesses, I think that it is interesting because... I was listening to an economist recently on, I don't know, do you know who Noah Kagan is? No. Without going into too much background, he's got a couple companies. He's a really cool guy. Um, I recommend people check out his podcast. Uh, but he had an economist on and what that guy was saying is that in certain cases, this is actually a really good time to start a business because um, big businesses right now are going to be able to ride this out because they have the cash funds to do it. But medium and small businesses may not be able to. So that will create some opening for new players to come in. And so that's an interesting thing with travel blogs as well and just kind of like entering industries now. Um, it's just interesting as, a, as like a thought experiment, I think. What do you think about that? For sure, this is going to reset a lot of things about the industry, about travel and travel blogging um, generally. And, you know, a, a lot of people probably will switch off of blogging full time. I mean, I can't promise you I'm going to mm -hmm. make it through this thing and still be blogging full time come 2022. With that said, you know, the business model, people are still as long as we maintain our search engine rankings, once travel returns, we should our readerships should return. Um, and so. My view on the blog, I've always viewed the blog, not as an income source, but as mm. an asset. And I think we talked about this the last time I was on your podcast, which is that I, people are always like, oh, you're a travel blog, blogger. Like how much, you, you know, how much are you earning monthly? And I'm like, well, you know, I, and January was earning six, seven K a month, but I don't really think about it as what's my monthly income. I think about it more as what's the asset value of my blog, because at least before all this, you could sell a travel blog for 36 times your monthly revenue, which means that a blog that's earning, you know, $5,000 a month 
is worth like $200,000. That's a lot. You can buy, you know, a couple houses in, in certain places with that amount of money. And so I've always viewed it as an asset. And because it's an asset, uh, it's the same as if like, you know, if you if you own real estate right now and you're looking at the potentially a housing market downturn, if you can if you can keep that asset uh, and maintain it throughout the recession, um, when it comes back, you'll be fine. If you're in a cash flow position where you have to sell the asset or you have to, you know, you let it go into disrepair or whatever it is, then you that's where you get hit really, really hard. And so. You know, I do think that for a lot of bloggers, the bloggers who survived this, some of them will come out the other side stronger. And if you look at the bloggers who have been around for a really long time, um, some of them, I know bloggers who were around during SARS um, when there was actually a pretty big global you know, downturn. It wasn't a pandemic on this level, but travel's the first thing people cut out. And they've been around through the Great Recession and through various other crises over the years. And it seems like the, the ones who survive, um, once they survive one, one, one of these crises, they tend to survive in the future. Mm. But the travel industry is going to be so different after this is over and in ways that we don't even understand yet. Like we make a lot of our income as a blogger off of affiliates. A lot of my affiliates may not exist as companies by the time this is over, like literally may not exist. And so you, that, it, there's this whole knock on series of, OK, what does that mean? Are people going to be traveling in the same way? You know, are they going to be wanting to do the same thing? Are we going to adjust to that? And these are questions the industry is grappling with right now. And unfortunately, on some level, it requires sort of seeing into the future. And I can tell you what I think, but I think anyone who tells you that they know what's going to happen is lying. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that in terms of like a lot of the businesses and affiliates that you, like you said, that work with travel bloggers, who knows what's going to happen to them. On top of that, Amazon just came out a couple of days ago and as if life wasn't hard enough for a lot of the, the people um amazon just absolutely essentially destroyed the amazon associates system yeah which for people who don't know it's essentially is if you are an affiliate for amazon and you know somebody clicks on your amazon affiliate link goes to amazon buy something you get a kickback some percentage usually it's like what is it like three to six percent or three to eight that's a commission it's based it, before it was i mean it still is based on the product category yeah um before this uh, the commissions were in the three to eight percent range, depending on the category. Now, for most categories, they're at one percent. So, I mean, you're talking about decimating, um, quite literally, um, the that that program. Because, of course, Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, is um, you know he's struggling too during this coronavirus, Mitko, and you got to remember that. Do you think um, that this is corona related, or because I, to me, it doesn't. It's not surprising that Amazon would no. do this. They were always going to do this. I think right. they're going to get rid of their affiliate program at some yeah. point. Amazon grew um, as a marketing vehicle. One of the major ways that they grew was by getting online because they're an online retailer, right? And so they grew along with the online ecosystem by getting bloggers and getting people to, to join this program. And the reason why it's such a big program is because everything's on Amazon and everybody uses Amazon. So if I'm going to write an article about you know a packing list for Argentina, the easiest thing to do is to just put all the whatever items I recommend with Amazon affiliate links because everything's on Amazon. And that's probably where people are going to buy it anyway. The problem is, is that now that that last part is true, where they have such a big market share and people are buying those products from them anyway, they don't really need the affiliates anymore um, in order to grow. And, you know, I, I, part of me kind of understands that there's a lot of other problems that have come up recently with Amazon and the way they treat their workers and the way that, you know, kind of are they going to become the next Walmart? Like a long time ago, I stopped shopping at Walmart personally. And now I think a lot of us are starting to reassess both as consumers even before this, if we want to continue our relationship with Amazon and what that's going to look like. And so I think that'll precipitate a bit of a change. I'm not too worried about it because there's a lot of most products that are sold on Amazon. Quite a few of them are not sold by Amazon. They're sold mm -hmm. by other online retailers. And those a lot of those online retailers already have affiliate programs um, that pay better because you're cutting out the middleman, basically. And I think this is going to make it much easier to move a lot of those programs to other you know, direct affiliate programs, which has a, a ch it's harder on the blogger, right? Because if you're a new blogger, it's easy to just join Amazon and throw up all those links. But it, I think in the end, hopefully will will lead to a better system of people recommending smaller businesses and allowing for 
you know, these e-commerce businesses that are sometimes just like mom and pop shops um, to have access to bloggers being more open to doing the work that's necessary um, in order to include affiliate leads to those programs. And so that's something I was already doing before this for all the reasons you mentioned, because Amazon, this is not the first time they've cut affiliate rates. They've been doing this for for years, really. And um, this is just a very, very steep one. And it kind of was weird that they're doing it in the middle of coronavirus. They're, they're, I, I'm sure, I'm sure that they already had this planned before mm-hmm. coronavirus. You know, I don't know that for a fact, but th- th- everybody has been assuming this day was going to come long before uh, this crisis. Like everybody's been saying, you know, what are you going to do? We've already moved on Travel Lemming quite a few of our biggest um, performing posts away from Amazon and towards other programs. And so we'll just continue to do that. We've always talked about like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Like if all of your income was coming from Amazon, like shit, like you, like your business took a big hit. I actually just read a post by a, a fellow uh, entrepreneur who bought a, an Amazon associates based business. So they bought a blog that their main revenue was from, uh, you know, Amazon affiliates for like 400K and two days later, this came in. So this entire business asset they bought for almost half a million dollars is now worth a quarter of that because of how, yeah. you know, and there's risk in that and they would have been fine anytime before now, but it's almost like you cannot have all your eggs in one basket, right? If all the money that you were making was from advertisers on your website, uh, you know, you're getting hit really hard right now. That's why, you know, we have friends that have like membership academies, and even though they sort of like overlap in the travel space, that still gives them some security. And I think, like you said, this is why people who go through something like this once tend to be better and they can go through it again and again and again. It's because they, they've gone through it and they learned these lessons. Do you have any tips for anybody who's going through this right now as like, hey, like, what are you doing, for example, to kind of, I know that you said that you have savings, but what would you do if you didn't have those savings? Like, should people double down on their business? Should they um, try to pivot? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's a, it's a very individualized um, question that you have to answer, right? And if you're out there and you're struggling right now, like, first off, know that you're not alone. There's a lot of other people out there. And one thing that really I hope you, you know is that um, – that there's a community of people that will support you and that there's other people who, who are in the same position as you are. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot in the digital nomad community lately of, you know, nomads with audiences who are sort of uh, projecting about how, you know, how great they're doing in the pandemic and how, you know, and some people are, some people had, um, you know, are, are, are financially doing just fine or even better during this pandemic. And it can kind of create this perception or this, I call it hustle porn. But like there was a quote that went really viral a couple of weeks ago. That basically said, if you come out of this pandemic and you don't have a new skill or a new project or a new side hustle, it's not because um, you lack time. It's because you lack discipline. And I like took such issue with that because, you know, I understand like um, a lot of people, this is going to present a lot of opportunities for a lot of entrepreneurs. But at the same time, (laughs) this is a global pandemic and this is unlike anything any of us have seen in our lives. It is a horrible, horrible thing. And your only job, your only job everybody in the world right now is to survive this with your health and your mental health intact and, and to get through it on the other side, because on the other side of this pandemic, whenever, you know, it may be two years until we get there, things will get better. And if you can get through by surviving, you won. And unfortunately there's going to be some losers in that battle. And so I think it's important to, to, to keep that perspective. First of all, second, when it comes to dealing with what your income is, um, it depends on what your skills are. I would take a real hard look at your resume and sort of think about like, what are the places that you can pull from to try to get, um, to try to think creatively about ways that you can, you can make an income now. It depends on where you are in terms of your ability, how urgently you need that income. Like one thing you can do, and a lot of people are doing right now, if you're really desperate is just, uh, if you're a native English speaker, you can teach English online. Um, there's still a pretty big market for that. I know it's becoming more saturated, but that's one. If there's somebody out there who's listening to this and it's just like doesn't even understand how they're going to pay their rent. And there's people like that. That's one thing you can do. Um, you probably have a lot more skills, too, that you can offer than you might have thought about before. You know, you could look into into freelancing. Um, use your network. Use your personal contacts. Your personal contacts are going to be your best way of getting any sort of relief quickly out of this because unfortunately every job application is going to be just totally swamped and 
um, every time, every posting on Upwork is going to have 10 times more people responding to it. And so, you know, stay calm, uh, know that you're not alone, reach out to your network and do the best you can. Like you don't have to come out of this pandemic, a multimillionaire, um, in order to have been successful. If you come out alive, that's enough. And it doesn't mean that there's not, you know, there's not opportunity, um, out of crisis that some people can find and make and good on them. Um, but I also think it's important to keep that perspective. But I think where it comes from is that a lot of people say that they don't have enough time to do something. And what they're assuming now is that because you're at home um, and maybe some people are at home from their work and their work is still paying them or whatever, that they now have the time. But the big variable is that there's a fucking pandemic going on and everybody's stressed about like what's yeah. going to happen. Um, is Am I safe? Is my family safe? Are my loved ones safe? And that is a legitimate stressor. Um, and I think that that goes also like one of the things that I was talking with a friend was I think that this is going to define the way that we look at certain companies going forward because we're not going to forget how like if you're working for a company right now and that company is treating you poorly, um, you're going to, when you have options, you're going to think twice about who you work for. And the companies that do treat their employees very well through this, I think are going to have a much better chance at like hiring top talent going forward because people are going to be like, okay, how did they react during this? How did they take care of their you know, work family, their employees during all of this? Um, were they caring? Were they not caring? Did they just, you know, cut people and fire them to like save their profits? Like, I think that that's really going to um, define people going forward. Um, and just as a side note, when you mentioned about teaching English online, if anybody's interested in that and wants to learn more more about it, um, we had Rachel's story on all the way back on episode 17. And that was a really great episode. She talked about how to start doing that. Um, so if anybody's interested, go check that out. She gave a really great guide and overview on um how to get started with that. Um, you mentioned nomads and how they're handling this. What do you think this means for the digital nomad movement about our kind of global lifestyles? I've seen things being thrown around about, hey, this is the beginning of borders being shut down, um, you know, more kind of nationalistic views what do you think it means for our lifestyle in, in like the long run? Obviously for the foreseeable future for like the rest of this year, probably our lifestyles won't be, you know, a lot of nomads won't be able to have the lifestyle they enjoy. But what do you think this means for the more like big picture scope of, of the movement? Definitely this will be a generational defining event for digital nomads. Um, I think that for years, you know, as we gather, you're going to kind of have the people who are nomads before the pandemic and during the pandemic and the people who came to the lifestyle afterwards. And that's going to be a big dividing line, um, not, not necessarily in the sense of creating division between people, but uh, that this is going to be one of those things that people, people look back and it really affects them um, and how they act going forward. I would say that, well, I, in the medium term, I think that a lot of digital nomads are going to be kind of taking, who are currently digital nomads, are going to be taking assessment of their appetite for continuing the lifestyle. And I think that that's an important discussion to have. And this is a good time to have it, honestly. Like, I think we should all be doing that about every aspect of our life all the time. Like, is is are there things about our life that we want to change because uh, because we've outgrown, you know, what our, our decisions were before. And there's nothing wrong. I've always told people, if you want, becoming a digital nomad is not like a, it's not something that you do and then you're a digital nomad forever. It's something a lot of people can go and, and experiment with the lifestyle for a couple of years or five years or 10 years. I mean, there are very, very few people who have truly been digital nomads for a very long period of time, Right. And so I think a lot of people will probably phase out of the digital nomad lifestyle who are currently in it. I also think that you will have a lot of people who have had their eye on becoming nomadic and will now have more opportunity to do so because we're seeing this rise of remote work and so many jobs that companies were reticent um, to let be done remotely or suddenly, you know, this is proving that those jobs can be done remotely. And so that's going to create, it's going to accelerate what was already the trend towards the remote workforce in the long term. So if we're talking to five years from now, I think this pandemic will actually kind of throw gasoline on the fire of the digital nomad movement. It will 
be seeing a lot more people. But like you said, of course, there's also, you know, there's rise of nationalism and and you're, we're going to have to deal with uh, borders closing and xenophobia and all these sort of things in, in the meantime. I think that until there's a vaccine um, or until countries have enough uh, tests that they can just test arrivals as they're coming in, um, which is probably going to be a little while, it's going to be hard to move from country to country at all. Um, but at some point we'll get a vaccine and at some point things will maybe not return. Nothing's going back to the way it was before, um, but there will be a reset and an opportunity uh, for this lifestyle to sort of go forward. And so it's certainly a good time for people personally to reflect on their own choices and what they want when this is over. Um, and it's a good time for us, I think, as a community to sort of think about how how having just gone through basically the beta phase of the digital nomad movement. And I really think we're still, we're still in the early phases of, of this movement, you know, how we can change uh, and grow as a community in a way uh, that sets us up for more success down the line. Yeah. It's interesting how this whole space has almost been defined by like these global events, you know, like essentially our lifestyle, our, our movement has existed uh, since the last recession to now, right? It's almost been like those like 12 years because after that recession, people were like, uh, you know, I thought I had security and I thought I was doing all the right things and shit hit the fan and I didn't have that security anymore. So what else is out there? This is either going to throw gasoline on the fire or I think is really going to shut it down because while a lot of people are getting a chance to taste remote work. I've heard from friends of mine who have messaged me who have been like, hey, I've been doing this remote work thing that you talk about so much for the last month and I fucking hate it. Like, and and the thing that I tell them is like, this isn't what it's like normally. You know, like you're stuck at home, you're quarantined, you don't get to have the benefits. But I, I think you're right, but there's also something in the back of my head that's like, are people going to get a taste of this and it's going to be a bitter taste and they're not going to want to like try and they think that this is what it's all about. So, oh, I think a lot of people will, but also remember that I have never been of the opinion that the digital nomad lifestyle is for everyone. Oh, even yeah, most people, or even like five percent of people. Mm -hmm. The percentage of people who are digital nomads is like a fraction of a percentage point of the general population, and so it could grow 10 times mm -hmm. and still be like a tiny fraction of the population. And so, some percentage of people are going to say, oh, I can do my work remotely and there's all this other stuff I want to, you know, I want to do with my life. Why can't I have my cake and eat it too? And, you know, I thought, I think probably a lot of digital nomads have at some point in this pandemic thought to themselves, like, what would have happened had I made a different choice? Um, you know, had I not become a nomad in the first place? And I definitely have had that play through my mind. And uh, especially when you can you can be driven to a place of saying like oh maybe I shouldn't have done this because I would have been so much more financially secure and I would have a job still and and you can play that counterfactual but on the other side I think if you went back in time and you told Nate four years ago that this was going to how it would play out I still would have chosen the path I took like maybe not the exact path but I still would have chosen the nomad life and the reason is is that you know this pandemic I think has really shown us how fleeting life is and how you know, you can't take anything for granted. And if you want to, you know, if you have a goal in your life of going out and seeing the world and traveling or, or whatever it is, um, better to do it, you know, when you have the chance. And I'm glad that I've gone and spent the last four years going around the world and having all the experiences I have. I still have those experiences and I wouldn't have had them um, had I not done that. And so I think for some people, it's going to cause priorities to be assessed. I think for everyone is going to assess their priorities out of this pandemic. And I think that for a large percentage of people, they're going to maybe come to realize that their priorities um, are a little different than how they were living before the pandemic. And that in combination with just the availability of remote work um, should uh, increase the, the nomad movement in the long term. Um, I think, you know, we're, we'll have to wait and see. I would say wait until we have a vaccine and then give it another year after that. And we can have the discussion about uh, what happened. You, you did mention that this is giving people a chance to like almost like rethink things. And first of all, like even in the like digital nomad quote unquote community, the people who are actually nomadic are a very small percentage of that already small percentage, right? A lot of people actually have home bases uh, or, they, totally. or they yeah. go to a place and they're there for like six months or three months, you know? So like how nomadic are they actually? It's like, it's, 
they're nomadic on like a different scale. They're not changing places every two weeks. One of the things that Sarah and I have been talking about uh, for the last year is that we do want to have a home base. We want to buy a property somewhere. We don't want to stop traveling. We don't want to stop being location independent, but we want to have a home base. And this is almost like, like I said, we got an apartment here. It's kind of nice having a place to, you know, have, I call them safe houses. You know, it's like the James Bond thing where like he goes to like Morocco and he's like, don't worry, I have a safe house here. You know, someplace that you feel safe that you can come back to. Um, one thing that I do want to chat with you about before we kind of uh, you know wrap it up is there was a, a blog post that went out recently about how digital nomads are actually um, reacting very well to this. And I will post a link to that blog post. Uh, I just want to chat a little bit about that because I understand where the author is uh, coming from on this point because there is some truth to that. Um, you know, people who already work remotely didn't have to adjust to working remotely. In some sectors of business, you know, business is like going as normal. You know, we're not working with restaurants or anything like that. But do you think that like digital nomads are better prepared to ride this out. I know obviously the travel industry is taking a hard, you know, hard hit from that, but kind of excluding that in general, people who are digital nomads and have the skill base to be nomads. Uh, do you think that they're better like prepared for that? In some ways, yes. And in some ways, no, right? Like when it comes to preparation for remote work and all of those sort of things, and people are, there's a lot of people back home in the United States are just figuring out how to do a video conference or figuring out how to use tools like Trello and how to set up remote teams and all that stuff. And for most nomads, that's, that's already baked in. That's skills we have. And so that, that is absolutely true. Um, I also think that, um, you know, nomads, uh, some nomads tend to be the, the lifestyle lends itself towards a sort of independence that maybe is, is coming in handy um, in some ways. Um, on the other hand, it comes with a lot of downside. And I do think that there are aspects of this lifestyle that you re- we really have to think about how we how we go about educating the nomadic community about how to be better prepared the next time something like this happens. I mean, you had when the borders were closing down and and people were making those decisions about where to go. I was talking to so many people. I had people crying on the phone to me because they were looking at, you know, not knowing if they were going to get trapped in some random airport. I had friends who had been uh, stranded for weeks in various countries, um, having their their, uh, cargo planes being sent in by their national governments to take them out. And it is, it does expose a few vulnerabilities of the community. In particular, one, we're reliant upon the generosity of our host countries. Most nomads um, exist on tourist visas, but even though we're like not really tourists, right? Like, and that's a, that comes with a whole set of problems when it comes to access to healthcare, when it comes to immigration. I mean, you see, you see lines in Thailand and Bali and places when they've, they've sort of struggled with how to deal with the immigration aspects of this. And thankfully some countries are, you know, sort of waiving or extending visa lengths. Um, as a result of this, but not everywhere. And in a lot of places, it's confusing. And and at the end of the day, we are reliant upon our our host governments. A lot of people seem to think that digital nomads exist as like our own separate nation, and that we exist free of um, free of the influence of sovereigns. But that's not the case at all. If anything, in a lot of ways, we are more privileged because we come from countries where we have the ability to make this income and, and all of those things. And I, I never forget that I'm among the top 1% of people in the history of the planet in terms of the privilege I've been given. Um, but we are also a vulnerable community in that we're not very well represented. Um, and uh in some very important ways that have been shown by this pandemic. And you have people who are really struggling with that. We also are, you know, our lifestyle can lend itself towards loneliness, towards mental health issues that I think for a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people come to the digital nomad lifestyle because they were struggling with some sort of internal, maybe not a mental health issue specifically, but some sort of, you know, mental well-being issue. And they see the lifestyle as a, as a cure for that. And I've long told people like, whatever is wrong in your life, like don't assume that simply becoming nomadic is going to fix it. Like if you have a fundamental underlying issue, whatever that is, whether it's a relationship or it's some sort of, you know, mental health issue or it's, or it's, you know, some sort of insecurity or problem or, or whatever it is, like you've got to address that separately 
in order to become, you know, happy. So you cannot rely on the digital nomad lifestyle to fix that for you. And, you know, that's, I think this is really showing that's the case. And so, you know, I, everyone is, um, this pandemic is, is I think laying bare a lot of realities that existed um, before this and kind of showing us how the world, you know, in all of its glory and all of its warts, um, what the world is really like. Like, it's really hard to kind of bluff your way through this pandemic. And so there is a tendency in the nomad community of pretending like the digital nomad lifestyle is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I think it's awesome. I really do. I mean, I write a blog and I promote it, right? So like, clearly I believe that on balance for me, this has been a good lifestyle, but I think it's really important that we take, particularly now that we present a balanced view of it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's in many reasons. And I know that we've talked about this in private, like when we've hung out, but it's one of the reasons why, like I started this podcast is because um, I think a lot of people sell this lifestyle as the answer to every one of your problems and it's not it's it's an amazing thing obviously like like you said you started writing about it in some ways i've started doing a podcast and in many ways build a brand around that but i think it's our responsibility to actually provide all the information so people can make the best decision for for themselves um and yeah absolutely this is like one of those times when you kind of like have to like sit down and like reassess and, and figure out you know what are the things that I like about this? You know, what are the struggles with this? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And for people who are interested, um, that blog is, uh, that post is called Why Digital Nomads Are Coping Better With The Quarantine. It's written by Kristen Wilson. I, I do recommend, I don't have any problems with the, with the blog. It's an interesting um, like like thought piece, I think, to, to go and like look at. She makes some really good points. Um, and there's some, you know, obviously for some people, they're not gonna agree with that. Some people will. It's an interesting little um, thing to check out. Um, but Nate, man, it's been uh, it's been really fun to catch up with you and to chat. Um, hopefully, we'll get to hang out again uh, sometime in person once all of this is over. Um, but man, uh, thank you for sharing everything and being uh, really transparent and vulnerable. I, I appreciate that a lot. And um, what do you you know? Where do you want people to come and you know check out what you're working on or follow or or, or support anything that you're doing? Yeah, of course. So um, you can always go to travelleving.com uh, and my email list is is the the place to get the most sort of real unvarnished take from me. Um, I'm also pretty active on Instagram stories. Or you can just email me at nate at travelemmy.com if you want to chat about anything. If anybody out there is struggling and 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 needs someone to talk to or needs some thoughts or advice, you know, I can't promise to fix everything, but I, I can definitely promise to, to listen and to try. Um, I, the Nomad community is not a community that is well represented for all of the things that we talked about. And so one of the things I'm trying to do during this crisis is set aside time to help one-on-one -on -one individual nomads who need help. And so if that's you, um, please feel free to reach out to me. And if I can, I, I will be there. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mitko. Stay safe. Yeah, uh, man. You know, wash your hands, wear the mask, all that stuff, and, uh, <laughs> and hopefully we'll uh, hopefully we will see each other in the not too socially distant future. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, take care. Take care. Bye.